Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. It's time for my show. Y'all, this is already a long day for me, um, but I will be fresh for you. <laughs> I had to show you. So, okay, this is way too much information for you guys. So I stayed in Atlanta Monday night because I had to do the pins of it with Kemp, Brian Kemp, on Monday night, and on Tuesday night, they asked if I would MC the Brian Kemp uh, re-election party. I was like, sure, and my plan was to do the Kemp re-election party. I knew it was going to be an early night. I, I did have some insider knowledge as to the way this thing was trending, uh, which I haven't hidden from y'all. I've been telling you all along. Um, but then I was going to go home. And I didn't expect it to be a long night. Well, it wound up being a longer night than I thought it was going to be. And then Fox News asked if I would be on Fox and Friends at 6.30 this morning. And their studio was two blocks from the hotel I was staying in. I was like, fine, I'll do that. Well, I didn't have a change of clothes other than casual attire. So I got to bed sometime around 1.30 or 2 o'clock this morning. I mean, I was... I talked to, like every news outlet in the country I talked to and had all sorts of writing to do from the shooting in Texas to the, the election. And so I finally got to bed. Uh, I got, according to my watch, three hours and about 30 minutes of sleep. And then got up around 5 o'clock to get ready to be on Fox and did my Fox News hit and then drove an hour and 15 minutes home to be on radio at nine. And then I had to do a podcast recording with Steve Hayes from the dispatch at 10. Then I had an hour to prep the show. Then I've got a show. Then I was going to go to the gym, but my son today was the last day of school. He's like, can we go bowling? So I'm going to go bowling. And then I got to do a bunch of TV tonight. And then I have two days and then I'm going to go take a vacation. Um, a long day already today, uh, but had a good time with Fox and friends this morning. So about the election, first of all, we're going to talk about the shooting. We can't avoid it. It's big news. But I don't want to start the show with it. I, for a lot of reasons, most of them emotional. I had to, I was asked last night, uh, they wanted to start the Kemp party here in Georgia at 8.30. The crowd, the doors opened at 7. They wanted to officially start it at 8.30. And the news was breaking about what happened. And they said, will you do, will you go on stage at 830 and do a moment of silence? And I did. And they just asked me to do a moment of silence. And I just felt obligated to, to pray for the parents and the fallen and the grieving and for the president and for the governors, the governor of Texas and the leadership there. And, and so I did. And, and my gosh, it was emotional. I was, I was struggling on stage, which I never do in front of a crowd. It was so overwhelming. I mean, today is my kid's last day of school. And part of me was like, do I even want to send them to school today? So I just, I want to wait and get there. I want to talk about the elections first and not just Georgia. Uh, I want to talk about all the elections because there are some notable moments I believe there has only been a two-year gap in American history since 1981. From 1990 through January 1993 to January of 1995 was a two-year gap 
of no Bushes in elected office in America. In 1981, George H.W. Bush became the vice president of the United States. He won the presidency in 1988. He served until January of 1993. In 1994, his son, George W. Bush, got elected governor of Texas. And then I guess in 98 or 2000, somewhere in there, uh, Jeb got elected. But George served as governor until 2000. He got elected president. He left the presidency or he stayed in the presidency until 2008. By then, George P. Bush had gotten elected in Texas, I believe, uh, back in it was it was then. And uh, he was on the the railroad commission in Texas, and then uh, got another job. Am I am I am I right? No, no, no. I'm sorry. It was 2015. Okay, so there there was there was a pause. He was in the military for some time there. Well, now we are without a a Bush. We're really the the first. It's an interregnum. He ran for uh, Texas Attorney General, made it to a runoff with Ken Paxson. Ken Paxson, the embattled Attorney General of Texas, who I really don't think should be there. He's under indictment by the federal government, among other things. Uh, but uh, he he used, essentially attacked the Bushes in Texas and won. It, it tells you where the Bushes stand in the landscape of Republicans, although... George W. Bush did a fundraiser for Brian Kemp over in Texas a few weeks ago. Uh, the Republicans all rallied for Kemp. But in any event, George P. Bush has lost to Ken Paxton in Texas. Uh, Paxton, I don't know. I assume he will win re-election before he's carted off to jail. Uh, in Arkansas, Sarah Sanders is the Republican nominee, and she's going to win. There are a lot of Democrats screaming about nepotism. Say, oh, well, you know, she's Mike Huckabee's daughter. That's why. Uh, it's not nepotism when the voters vote. It's called democracy, not nepotism. And I, by the way, I'm a big Sarah Sanders fan. I have always liked her. I thought that if she had been the press secretary of any president, not named Donald Trump, she would have been praised the way they praised Jen Psaki for her handling of the office and navigating the controversies of that office. But because she worked for Donald Trump, she is vilified as a terrible press secretary, which she wasn't. She had to manage the public face of the presidency before the press, which the president demanded to be combative. And behind the scenes, she had to help the press get the information they needed to do stories. It was a very, very tough needle to thread, and she did a brilliant job of it. She is her father's daughter, but you will note I called her Sarah Sanders, not Sarah Huckabee Sanders, because the fact of the matter is she stands in her own right as a politician, as a public policymaker, and she's going to be a fantastic governor in the state of Arkansas. She is. She has a passion for public service. Uh, she cares deeply about that state. She knows it as well as her dad, but she's not her dad. She's herself. It's not nepotism. It's democracy. She won, and she will win in November. And then there's what happened over in um, Alabama. The Alabama Secretary of State uh, elections, I tried to keep up with it last night, but great googly moogly, it was a disaster. 
It was so, so, so slow. Uh, Katie Britt and Mo Brooks are going into runoff. Britt, I, I'm not a fan of Britt. I think she's a, a, a political social climber. She is a, um, she's, she's going to be a chamber of commerce lackey. She'll do whatever they want. But uh, she got to 44.7%. You needed a, a flat-out majority there. And the result is uh, she's going she's gonna to move forward. Now, Kay Ivey is the Republican in Alabama, the go- governor. She's the incumbent. And she got to 54.4%. She won every county. But she had two aggressive challengers. One got 19%. The other got 16%. She was able to hold them off. Now, here's the problem for the Democrats. One, they're not going to win the gubernatorial race in Alabama. They're just not. But they also split. Uh, Yolanda Flowers got 33%. Uh, Malika Sanders, 48, got 32%. They're not going to do well there. Contrast that with the Senate side, Will Boyd, Democrat running there, got 63% of the vote. He won every county in Alabama. Uh, the Katie Britt Mo Brooks race is going to be interesting because Mo Brooks was endorsed by Trump. Trump then rejected his endorsement and endorsed Britt. The guy who lost, Mike Durant, was probably the guy who should have won. He is the pilot of the helicopter that crashed in Somalia that was turned into the book and movie Black Hawk Down, a famous military veteran. And he's a good conservative guy, but did not have what it takes to get into the runoff. So uh, between Mo Brooks and Katie Britt, all on board Mo Brooks, Uh, not because Donald Trump uh, rejected him, but because Mo Brooks is a conservative, uh, small government guy. And I like that. He will not be a yes man uh, to the establishment in Washington the way Katie Britt will be. That's the lay of land in those. Then we have to turn to Georgia. And Georgia was the big night. In Georgia, yes, I, I think it's safe to say that Donald Trump caused himself the problems. He overextended himself. I have been, contrary to what some would accuse me of, I've worked very hard to not make it about Donald Trump. In fact, I have said, including last week, that a lot of it had to do with incumbency. Brian Kemp was very popular in his own right. And so I want to give you the the closing to the Washington Post. The Washington Post ran a story today about what this means for Trump. I want to read you the last three paragraphs because I'm quoted. (laughs) In Georgia, Trump repeatedly goaded Purdue into the race, even though he soured on his candidacy near the end of the campaign because he believed Purdue had run a lazy effort. Allies of Purdue say he only ran because Trump repeatedly told him he could win and found it difficult to gain any traction or raise money. Eric Erickson, a prominent conservative radio host and friend of Governor Kemp's who emceed the governor's Monday and Tuesday night events, said Kemp didn't want to fight with Trump and had tried to stay out of it, knowing Trump remained popular with many Republican voters. It shows his impact is waning, he said of Trump, adding it didn't have to be that way. Trump made it a rejection of Trump. Kemp didn't, Erickson said. Trump did that. Trump chose to do that. And I think that's true. Brian Kemp never ran against Donald Trump. Donald Trump ran against Brian Kemp. Donald Trump had David Perdue run against Brian Kemp, and Donald Trump lost. You know, uh, David Perdue, at the end of the day, was right. 
David Perdue is owed credit for being right about something at the end of the campaign. And I scoffed. I scoffed when he said it. I thought he was wrong and he turned out to be right. David Perdue told, I think it was uh, one of the NBC News reporters. He said at the end of the race that the Fox News poll and all the other polling was wrong and he may lose, but he will not lose by 30 points. He was he was right on that. He lost by 50 or 50 plus points. He was right. The polling was wrong. In fact, the polling undercounted Kemp. Now, the reality is that uh, Kemp's internal polling, of which I was aware, several outside groups who did polling outside to try to see where the race was headed, and uh, the public polling were actually pretty good for Fox News, for the Kemp campaign, for all these others. They all had Kemp above 60%, but something happened. 8 to 10%, about 40,000 people who are Democrats, jumped into the Republican race. You take that out, and then suddenly Kemp is a 65% win as opposed to, I mean, if the Democrats didn't come in, Kemp would have won in the 60s. He won in the 70s because there were Democrats who jumped in to thank him for standing strong and, and standing up against the Stop the Steal effort. Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State in Georgia, won without a runoff. And I want to talk some about that race. Um, and he won in large part because Democrats did crossover. And I think that's fair to say a 7 to 10% crossover vote kept him out of having a runoff with Jody Ice. But ultimately, incumbency mattered so much. Every incumbent won. In the open races, though, in the open races in Raffensperger, this is why I believe you have to acknowledge to some degree there was a Trump effect because Trump's candidates for Congress placed second in runoffs. They didn't place first. And uh, Burt Jones, who looks to be the lieutenant governor nominee, I've had several people text me messages and say there are enough outstanding votes. He's probably going to get into a runoff as well. So with the exception of Herschel Walker, Kemp's or, or Trump's endorsed candidates either lost or had to go to runoffs. Herschel Walker, though, is Herschel Walker. I, I told someone this morning on TV that if Herschel Walker got in on Trump's endorsement and then Trump turned around and said, do not vote for this guy, he would have still won because it's Herschel Walker. And I, by the way, think I, I've said all along Herschel Walker's a troubled candidate. I think he's the weakest of the Republican field for the Senate, but he's still going to win because the environment is so bad for the Democrats. He's going to win there. Across the nation, big nights, and Donald Trump has done fairly well with his endorsements, except in Georgia. Why? Because the race wasn't stolen in Georgia. Georgia voters, particularly even Republicans, they actually like Donald Trump. They weren't rejecting Trump, per se. They're just ready to move on to the future now, instead of living in the past, relitigating Trump's grievances. You guys on the phones, be patient with me, please. Be patient with me. Um, I, I I gotta do a live read here shortly. I don't have a ton of time to be able to take phone calls. Um, I I, I want to say ultimately why I I I shifted. You know, I had told Josh Dawsey, the reporter for the Washington Post, that it, it really had more to do with incumbency than Trump, the elections in Georgia last night. And, and as the results came in, now there was definitely a, a negative Trump effect that I think has to be acknowledged with Brad Raffensperger, who Donald Trump said would destroy him. I mean, literally said he, he would absolutely destroy his political career. He won. And yes, he won with 51% of the vote. And inarguably, Democratic crossover voters pushed him over the line. 
But if you subtract out those Democratic voters, he still got more votes than David Perdue got. Yes, that's true. He persuaded enough Republicans more than he should have been able to. And I I, got to say, and I don't know if he's listening, um, maybe he's aggravated with me. Uh, Jody Heiss is a dear friend of mine. I love that guy. Um, I did not support him because I did not think Raffensperger deserved to be fired. I really didn't. Um, I just, I, I, I really, I'm, I don't think that Raffensperger did wrong what people said. There certainly were problems, but not those election problems. I, I wish Jody were still in Congress. I, I love the guy. He's a conservative warrior. I wish him the best. Uh, I hope we don't see the last of him. Uh, but I I couldn't support him in this race because I didn't think Raffensperger deserved the bad rap that he got. I also think that that Jody Heiss's race was flawed in that they they assumed they would get into a runoff and they left money on the table, which you should never do. They only spent about a million and a half dollars. They left money on the table, uh, thinking they would get into a runoff, and and they didn't. Uh, in large part, in fairness, the Democratic crossovers, but. I think they should have seen that happening given the the lack of, of real interest in the Democratic primary, even with all the competitive races. Uh, and Raffensperger will come back, and Chris Carr will too. Just absolutely crushed it. There are a lot of options out there. If you're a self-starter and you want to invest on your own, it can be really confusing. And I'm delighted to tell you about SoFi because that's who I use, and now I've got him as an advertiser. If you're a SoFi user, uh, my gosh, you get all sorts of options, great research. You get the ability to invest in stocks, EFTs, crypto, plan out your retirement. Uh, More importantly, you got people you can call on. I mean, for example, um, I can use SoFi to buy stocks and EFTs and do the deep dive research if I need to and get complimentary financial planners ready to help answer questions. Uh, You can too, whether you're stuck on where to start or need help deciding what to do next. You can even save for retirement with traditional Roth and SEP IRAs. They have so many options. If you're into crypto, you can also explore crypto. They've got 30 available coins, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano, Solana, Dogecoin, and so much more. But more importantly, they've got the number one ranked automated investment tool, their robo-advisor. It takes the stress out of building and managing a diversified portfolio without having to pay a bunch of experts to do it. I really like SoFi. Y'all, I've tried, you name it, and I probably tried it. And I settled on SoFi and think you will like it as well. Cut through the jargon, make investing easier with SoFi. Visit SoFi.com slash Eric to learn how you can win up to $1,000 in stock when you open an account. That's SOFI.com slash Eric. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities, LLC. Member FINRA. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Want to take some phone calls. Tony, I want to start with you. Welcome to the program. Well, thank you. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? All right. You know, I want to make a comment about this Trump supporters not supporting Kim because I'm, I'm a Trump supporter and I do believe the election was stolen. I was very upset with uh, Kemp and Rossberger. I, I was, I mean, I was, but I'm voting for Kemp still. I mean, his, how he handled the pandemic and the mandates. I mean, you know, you, you got to give him that. 
And also, you know, voting for Stacey Abrams is like burning your own house down. It's just, it, it doesn't make any sense. So, um, I mean, like I said, I, I, I'm still, I still feel like it was stolen. I still support Trump, but, you know, I'm, I'm voting for Kemp. Well, you know, I got to say, David Perdue is with you. He was very gracious uh, in his statement last night that he'll go out on the campaign trail. He'll do anything to help Brian Kemp. Uh, Melani Kai, who's on overnights on my flagship station, WSB in Atlanta, said she was at the Purdue event and that there was one person there who said absolutely going to vote for Stacey Abrams or uh, and the people said either stay home or vote for Kemp. And the woman was very defiant and said, no, no, I'm voting for Abrams. But everybody else in the room largely kind of got that and, and i don't think I, that, that's the things that are said emotionally on an election night when your candidate loses uh, there's plenty of time to persuade people otherwise there and, and honestly when you look at the polling that's out there kemp's winning without those people i not to be crass or crude but in georgia brian kemp consistently outperforms stacy abrams in all the polls. Now, you, for those of you not in Georgia, just for perspective, and for those of you in Georgia who forget this, in 2018, Kemp never was ahead of Abrams in polling and won. He's already five points ahead of her in the polling average. That's pretty impressive. Privately, Democrats concede her best chance was probably 2018, given the economy now. I, I got a theory on that. But um, I want to go to uh, Phil. You're going to be up next. Welcome. Hey, Eric. How you doing today, buddy? Good. How are you? Great. Uh, Eric, I'm in the 14th Congressional District. I did not vote for Marjorie Taylor Greene. And the question I pose, and I'm sure that a lot of 14th District uh, people have, is the worst Republican better than the best Democrat? I've seen the, I forgot what his name is, the, the Democratic challenger to Green, and I want so bad to vote for Republican in this red wave, but I cannot vote for the Green. She is just horrendous. It's an embarrassment after the Congressman, uh, Congressman Graves that we had for so many years, and I hate that he had resigned, but it's just, it's just a real quandary uh, about the, the well. Okay, so let, let me be honest with you, Phil. I, I used to take the position: vote conservative in the primary, Republican in the general. And 2016 was discombobulating for me. I was going to vote, decided to vote third party because I, I didn't like clinton or trump at all and i really did think trump was going to get in office and say suckers i'm as liberal as i used to be and i was proven wrong by him which is why i decided to support him in, in 2020 he he got so much right i didn't agree with everything he did he was kind of exhausting but he got a lot right and a lot of the stuff he got right was by doing exactly the opposite of what all the experts for years have been saying marjorie taylor green consistently votes the same way I would vote in Congress on almost everything. Her public persona is outlandish, on the left, abrasive, beclowning. Her votes are good. There are very few votes of hers that I have looked at where I thought I'd have voted differently from her. It's her public persona. The on the libs, 
I'm going to sound crazy. I'm going to be like the squad. I want attention. Me, 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 me. Um, I, I, I just find that abhorrent. If I were in the district and I were you, I would either vote for her, though, knowing that you don't like her public persona, but her votes are good, or just don't vote. Don't vote for the Democrat, though. The Democrat is a progressive pro-abortion Democrat uh, who, if were if was elected, would not be the moderate he claims to be. He'd be with the left. Um, I see no reason to support a Democrat in that seat when you could choose just your objection is by not voting or you vote understanding that the public persona of the congresswoman is terrible, but the voting record of the congresswoman is actually not a bad record. But I get it. It's a difficult, difficult call. Back to the phones. John, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Hey, how are you doing, Eric? Good. How are you? I'm good. I just wanted to... This I will never vote for the governor kind of comment. It reminds me of the story in the Old Testament, Judges chapter 11, where Japheth swore to the Lord that if he gave him victory over the Ammonites, he'd sacrifice the first thing that walked out his door. And he got the victory, and the first thing that walked out his door was a daughter. And it's just a stark reminder to us to be very careful what we promise and what we vow because of, uh, if anybody other than the governor is selected, it's going to have horrendous results for this state. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, Abrams is out now still trying to backpedal on her comment uh, when she said Georgia's the worst <laughs> state to live. When you got to go multiple media cycles doing it, uh, maybe we should all acknowledge that what you said was a mistake. But on top of that, John, I don't know if you've heard, uh, Abrams is now responding to the idea. In fact, I got to say, I was on uh, Steve Hayes and the Dispatch asked me to be on his podcast this morning. And I told him what Abrams said. And, and on his podcast, he, he, he said the bad word. He said the S word. He said it was bull what she said. Um, her, her point on voter suppression is when, uh, reporters asked her, how can it be? We've got record voting in Georgia and you say that this loss made it harder to vote. And she says, well, high vote turnout doesn't correlate to voter suppression. They're separate things, which is baloney. And now she's also yet again, uh, for the second day in a row, having to defend her comment that Georgia is the worst state to live in. I have listened to Republicans for the last six months attack me, but they've done nothing to attack the challenges facing Georgia. They've done nothing to articulate their plans for the future of Georgia. Their response to a comment on their record is to deflect and to pretend that they have done good for the people of Georgia. We are number one in maternal mortality, number two in the number of uninsured. We are number six in infant mortality, number nine in gun violence. We are number 48 in the provision of mental health services. And the challenge I have is that the answer from Republicans, from our former senator to our current governor, is to fight me instead of fighting the problems that are facing Georgia. Well, you know, actually, she gets her numbers wrong, by the way. Even the CDC disagrees with her on that stuff. But also in Georgia, they've just passed major mental health legislation. You know, I'm a big critic of the Speaker of the House and I actually had to, to compliment him 
on uh, the ultimate package there for mental health reform in the state that he and the governor pushed through last night when I saw him at the the Kemp event. Um, the state has done a good job of bringing high-paying jobs to rural parts of the state, boosting income in rural parts of the state. Uh, they've done a ton of things. She's been out of the state campaigning for president, so she hasn't realized the good things that have happened in the state. Now, I got to say something else on, on this point, and, and I want to move on from all of these issues. Um, there, there's, there's more here that I, I could process and go through, but I got to make a big point here at the end of the day. You know, there's this joke among people who run campaigns, turnout. It's all going to come down to turnout. It's also going to come down to good candidates. If I had the attention of Donald Trump, I would want to say, Mr. President, you got taken advantage of by people in your circle. You were led to endorse a number of candidates in Georgia who were deeply flawed. Some of them put money into their races and then took it out. It was all for show. You lent your name to them and they lost. The only people who were helped were those people who induced you to endorse those people. Their consultants got wealthy. They lost. You got a black eye. And I think, Mr. President, you need to understand the people in Georgia, they they really do like you. The Republicans in Georgia like you. But they're tired of being used to settle your grievances. And I think some people who are close to you, who wanted to get rich off of your name, convinced you to endorse candidates whose campaigns they then ran, and they got rich, you got a black eye. And that shouldn't be on you, but it allowed these races to be defined as a referendum on your support in Georgia. The fact of the matter is, Patrick Witt, who ran for insurance commissioner, had a thorough beating at the hands of John King, who will be Georgia's first elected statewide Hispanic official. He's a good guy. And had you known how much John King went to bat for you, Mr. President, during COVID, I don't think you would have supported Patrick Witt, stop the seal or not. John King had your back. He was loyal to you. And your endorsement of Patrick Witt put your grievances over a good candidate who had your back. Then there's Chris Carr. Chris Carr dominated, crushed John Gordon, who didn't even have a law license anymore. He had to go back and get it, and he jumped into the race and put a lot of his money in and never spent it. The consultants got rich, and you got a a, a decline on your win-loss record. Chris Carr is a good man, a good guy who had your back, who defended you mightily. And because he didn't go along with Stop the Steal, he appeared disloyal to you and those who got you to endorse this other candidate against him. Same too with Brian Kemp. There was no reason to ever stop Brian Kemp. I know you were told by people that Brian Kemp could have done something, but the Constitution of Georgia prohibited it. 
He couldn't have done anything. The Constitution of Georgia is different from the Constitution of Florida and other states. The Secretary of State is not appointed. It's elected. There's a firewall within the Georgia Constitution. The governor has no role to play and is prohibited from playing a role in anything about elections. And the result of all of your fall guys in Georgia through all of these consultants, Mr. President, was that even Brad Raffensperger got reelected because the antagonism drew so many Democrats into the field for the Republicans. The Republicans, all of them got elected with Republicans. Raffensperger was saved from a runoff because of Democrats, but he still got elected and got an extraordinarily high number of Republicans to support him. And a lot of consultants made a lot of money, and all the headlines are about how Georgia rejected you. Not because Georgia Republicans really rejected you, Mr. President, but because the campaign consultants who are close to you, who made a lot of money off of failing candidates, convinced the media that this was about you and your clout. And now it looks to have suffered and be in decline. Because of the way these campaigns were packaged, the way they were branded, the way they were spread, the way they were managed or mismanaged is a better word. And so I would just say, Mr. President, don't think that Georgia Republicans have turned their back on you. They, they like you. They like what you did. We all had good jobs when you were president and we weren't worried about the border and we weren't worried about Iran and we weren't worried about Russia. But they're kind of tired of the 2020 stuff. They're ready to move on. And to the extent you want to stay in the game, looking forward instead of past is probably beneficial. And also, I got to tell you, Mr. President, and all of you listening in Georgia, the chairman of the GOP in Georgia had a lot to do with the recruitment of certain candidates against Republican incumbents. And I can't tell you how many Republican elected officials behind the scenes last night were openly contemptuous of the party chairman in Georgia. And he should probably resign, one, for helping give the president a black eye through picking bad candidates, and also for being deeply divisive and running people against incumbent Republicans who there is no business running anyone against them. And those Republicans will now, as long as that guy is in charge of the party, come up with ways to bypass the party. And I don't think we need the fracturing headed into a general election, but the fracturing is going to remain as long as the guy no one trusts or respects is in charge of the political party. And if the president wants to help rebuild and mend fences and move forward, there's maybe a role for him to play there in, in pushing out somebody and getting in somebody other people like. But Mr. President, you got played by a lot of consultants who wanted to get rich off of your name and you got the black eye and they got the money and the candidates themselves got the losses. Now, I want you guys to be a winner by going with Patriot Mobile. If you become a customer of Patriot Mobile, you're contributing to the conservative cause around the nation. You're contributing to candidates and causes, the Second Amendment, the pro-life cause, the veterans and first responders. You are amplifying your dollars and your ability to help the cause by working with Patriot Mobile. They are explicitly set up as a Christian conservative organization that runs a cell phone company that uses the same towers everybody else uses. So it's not like you're going to get inferior cell service. You get the same service everybody else uses from the same towers. You get 5G, you get data, you get voice, but or something about Patriot Mobile. They give a portion of their profits, portion of their profits to the conservative cause. 
And they have 100% U.S.-based customer service as well. So if you call them and you want to do business with them, tell them I sent you. You get free activation. You're talking to people in the United States, not abroad. It's 972-PATRIOT. You can also go online to patriotmobile.com slash Eric. That's patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. You get free activation with my name. You get incredible discounts as well if you're a veteran, a first responder, a teacher, an NRA member. So many good discounts with good people with a great cell phone service that amplifies your dollars and theirs to fight for the conservative movement. PatriotMobile.com slash Eric. Hi there. It's Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425. Want to squeeze in one more phone call here from John. Welcome to the program. Hi there. Hey, just one, uh, this is a Georgia question. One, uh, uh, one thing I'd like you to clarify, it looked like the total turnout for Republicans was about 1.1 or 1.2 million people versus 950,000, I think, for Democrats. Yeah. And I'm just curious, does that portend anything for December or was it just because, or, or, or does it? November? Yeah. Um, look, I, the Republicans are clearly more energized, uh, which is kind of what you would expect in an off-year election when the Democrats control the White House. There is clearly high Republican enthusiasm. And also what it means, John, is that uh, the Republicans aren't going to sit home and claim the election is going to be stolen in November. They're just not. Um, and for people who think that, the, that, that Purdue supporters will stay home, I don't think most of them will. Some of them will with sour grapes. Uh, some of them who are so committed to stop the steal, uh, they'll stay home as punishment for Kemp, and they will not matter. They will not matter. Uh, if you are a Republican who is hurt over Brian Kemp and you're angry, I want you to know you don't really matter. And I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings, but it's time for you to suck it up um, because you don't. The polling out there shows that Brian Kemp leads Stacey Abrams by a greater margin than David Perdue ever did in any poll. I'm sure Brian Kemp would love to have your vote, but you don't matter. You're not getting your way. You don't have the power or the clout to make any demands. So you can suck it up and be part of the team, or you can stay home and be bitter. It's your choice. Now, when we come back, we got to talk about the shooting in Texas. We, we've talked about the light. Now we got to talk about the darkness, and it is not a pleasant conversation to have.